So what have we been learning, guys? What's been our subject? If someone was to capsulize what we've been talking about last week or two, what would you say? Cleansing of gates, yes. Real good. Anything else? I'll try. Yeah, what we're talking about is from living from the inside out. We're talking that Christ dwells within us. Matter of fact, we went through about, I think about six or seven scriptures that actually spoke of that. Actually talk about that the God that raised Jesus from the dead dwells within us. We somehow always get the mindset that we got to get more of God. Come on, we kind of have a beggar's mentality. Give me more of God, give me more of God. But what the scriptures say is everything you'll ever need for godly living it dwells within you. It's not a matter of getting more God. It's learning how to release God that's already in you. The promise was from the very beginning that, that he would fill his temple. And we are the temple of the Holy Ghost, isn't it? So the Bible says we are his temple. And so that temple, why don't you throw up the, the first thing, first slide there. So we're talking about a kingdom rule or reign. We usually think about the kingdom of God as something out here as well. We think about, you know, going to kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, interchangeable uh, words. But we usually think about it as something yet to come. And it is. It's yet to come, but yet it's here now. It dwells within us. And kingdom means rule or reign of God. When we're talking about the kingdom of God, we're talking about his kingdom ruling and reigning here now. And we're talking about especially him ruling and reigning in us. I always go over, this is just one of them. I'm going to pick one of them a week just to read out loud because I want to get this in you. I want this to be something that you really think about. I want these scriptures to be something that, that you, if you ever memorize a scripture, and I'm not a memorizing person, but at least that it's in you that you really understand that no, it's not a second-rate thing of God in you. No, it's not just an idea. It is truly the living God dwelling within you. And so let's read this out together if we get 1 Corinthians 3:16 through 17. Let's see if this thing's on. Yes. Don't you know, come on guys, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is sacred and you are that temple. We are sacred. Not because of what we do. We're sacred because who lives within us? And because he lives within us, he sanctifies us. Because he sanctifies us, he makes us holy. Because he's made us holy, we're acceptable to him. Because that's how he works. It's not the way we think. It's not how we approach life. It's the truth that really matters. And so, as many truths, we don't feel them right away. And so it's something we have to actually work on and think about. I love the definition of repentance. It means change the way you think. Most people think of it as just Stop sinning or turn around from sin. It has that connotation too. But the main connotation is change the way you think. So we have to change the way we think. And we have to understand that truly the kingdom of God and his glory and power dwells within us. Throw up the, the first one of those things. He desires to reign through us. It's a heavenly place. You know, First Corinthians 3.16 no, I mean, now Luke 
17, 20 through 21, says a similar thing. The kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation. Nor will people say, here it is, there it is. Because the kingdom of God is within you. That's what Jesus said. We go looking out there. We're going expecting something out there. And there will be a time that he comes back for the second coming. But we look for it out there. But it says here in Luke 17, 20-21, the kingdom of God is within you. You won't see it out there. It's within you. That is a model of the early temple. The early temple had the Holy of Holies, which was the part in the center up at the top. And that's where, the, that's where he dwelt. The Holy of Holies was within the Holy. That is like our spirit man. Show the second slide. We've seen this. We've been looking at this. I'm purposely trying to get this something where this, when you close your eyes, you see this chart in your mind. But the spirit man inside, then you have the soul, and then the body. And the spirit man in the very center of it is the glory of God. That's God himself dwelling in you. And we talked about last week that that gate of first love has to be open, else you don't have him dwell within you. He may be in there, but you won't feel him. The door is shut. He also says, I'm at the door knocking. Let me in. So you, he's knocking. He wants to come out and fill your spirit. That God that raised Christ from the dead dwells within you. Now, there's different gates and stuff that release them to your life that other people will be able to see it. Gates, and you'll see the gates here of, uh, uh, we're going to pick the first three, faith, hope, and worship is the first of uh, the three after we get in the spirit man, the releases us, the presence of God in the soul, is a place of authority. It's a heavenly place. We said before that gates, all the way through the Bible, were places where the elders were, where things were prophesied, where business deals took place. It's a place where the majority of the city, major activities took place in. It's a place that if it was open, the door was open, things could go in and out. But if the gates were closed, they couldn't. And they put sentries on the, on the gates, guards, to make sure the right things, only right people, right things would come in. Those gates are heavenly places. Heavenly places is where God wants to dwell as well. What we allow through those gates will be allowed in our lives. So God wants us to have control of those by his spirit. That's his intention. That those gates would be open for him and close to the enemy. In Luke 10, 19 through 20, it says, I have given you the authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and all the powers of the enemy, and nothing by any means shall hurt you. But this, uh, but in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your name is written in, in heaven. We have been given that authority. Every one of us has read the scriptures many, many times in different parts. It will talk about the authority God's given us. He has all authority has been released to him, and I give it to you. All kinds of things where he talks about the authority. Well, the authority areas that we first have to worry about for God to move through our life is those gates. Those gates have to be open. 
And I spoke to you before, they're open one way or the other. They're either sanctified and they're open to heaven, or they're defiled and open to hell. They work one way or the other, at least on the vertical plane. One way or another, they're either sanctified and blessed. Either you take an offering and put it at the gate to heaven, or they're defiled, and you allow an offering from hell to rest there. If that offering at that gate is one from hell, then you don't have the presence of God flowing through you, which is the intention of God. Not only that he flows through you, that you would have authority. Authority only matters if you understand it and are able to use it. Authority doesn't matter. You can have everything, but if you don't know you have it, it's worthless. So that's probably the number one plan of the enemy is to get you to understand or think you understand that you don't have it because you did something wrong. Because something in your life is not right. Hello? There's always going to be something in your life not right. It's never going to be okay until you're with them in heaven. I don't care who you are, you're not going to be all perfect ever on this earth. So that was put aside by Christ living in you and dying for you. So there's not a worry about what you've done wrong. So when the enemy comes and tells you you've messed up, the scripture says, you know, when, you're, when, when your adversary comes to you and makes a complaint against you, agree with them quickly and settle the matter. Otherwise, he's going to take you to court and you're going to have to pay the fine and lose. Well, so when the enemy comes at you and says that, oh, this, that, no, that make that the biggest reminder that it's time to pray to God. Oh, Father, that's right. I sin. I'm, I'm sorry. Forgive me for that. Boom. It's done. It's forgiven. The enemy has no more power over you. And you don't have to believe the lie of the enemy that you're not good enough to be the temple. You're good enough to be the temple because he said you are, not for any other reason. You're good enough to be the temple because he decided to die for you, no other reason. The whole testimony is to show you that by your own means you'll never make it. It's only by the means of the cross that you make it. And that blood was a powerful sacrifice that washed us from all unrighteousness. How do you say all? Can you say all unrighteousness? All means everything. There's no sin that you can do that God's blood is not strong enough to cleanse you from. All unrighteousness. So you stand clean before God because of him. You're loved because of him, not because of you. That's a freeing thing. That's a very freeing thing. Because we can understand it's based upon us. There's always something in us that's wrong. But if we understand that the person being loved is not based on the person receiving, but the one giving, then it's a whole different story. So we have this authority, this dominion that needs to be exercised. We have to take the authority and exercise it. We have to take dominion with our words of our lives and live, not the things of the world. Matthew 18, 18 says, whatever you lose in heaven is loosed on earth. My little pointer. Does it work here? Is it going to go there? No. I love it. It's not working. Oh, well. It's too much white up there. Whatever is loosened in those gates is loosened. What does that mean, loosen? It means whatever you decide will happen, will happen. What you decide to allow in your heart will be allowed in your heart. 
What you decide not to allow in there won't be allowed in there. That's the authority you've been given. And if you mess up on it, don't worry. God covers it. It says in Ephesians 6.12, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities. And it's the war of the principalities, the fighting for those gates that we have to deal with. It's that war and the argument for those gates that the enemy wants to have. Because if he can occupy those gates, he can occupy you. What, whoever controls those gates controls you. Whoever. And so God's purpose and his authority he's given you is that those gates would be clean and purified. That they would be open to heaven to close it off to hell so there'd be no more defilement of it. But there would be a continual offering of praise at those gates. Continual offering of blessing at those gates. And so they would be holy and they would allow the presence of God to go through. Now we're going to actually pick the hope gate as the center one. This is an area that I, I pray for more people about when I pray for people than any other thing in their life. Hope. Most everybody I pray for has a problem with hope. Most everybody I pray for, the, the worse that problem of hope is there, the more shipwrecked they are. Hope is something the enemy wants to steal every bit of. What is hope? What is it, guys? Tell me what hope is. Who can tell me? It's expectation for something good. That's actually a Hebrew definition, Greek definition of it. Expectation of something good. That's very accurate. What's the good? It's an expectation of. What's coming? What's coming down in the future? Partly. Partly. Those are all kind of okay. But that hope is on one thing. Who is the God of hope? Who is the God of hope? Jesus. Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with the hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, the hope is only in him. At any time you think it's the, the person in your life or the thing that's about ready to take place, you've missed. That is the actual hope of the enemy. The hope of the enemy is to distract you off the one thing. There's a reason why that hope is put right in front of that first love. It's because hope can only be in him. Only in him. We get distracted by that by many different ways. We get distracted by it sometimes by Something really obvious, like a person, uh, a finance, a house. All of those would be classified as false gods, by the way. Anything you hope in other than him is a false god. Okay? So, if your hope is in anything other than him, you've missed. That's why we have his blood over us, to cover us, and so we can forgive him. And go, ooh, change the way I think. I'm going to go ahead and go after the true hope, which is him. Listen, if you hear anything, your hope always has to be in him and him alone. No other place on the face of the earth. I'll tell you another little trick the enemy loves to do. He loves to get you when God will tell you something. He get, loves to get you to hope in what he told you. 
That's why the scripture says, don't lean on your own understanding. What do you think God said or what do you think he meant? But in your always acknowledge him. Go after him because the hope is in him. That's what that scripture says. That one that you ought to be writing down too. That scripture I just read. The May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. There is no other place than that. That is uh, uh, Romans fifteen thirteen. There is no other place. He is the God of hope, like it says here. There is no other place to get the hope from. At any time you get it from somewhere else, if you really want the short definition of uh, uh, idol, you got it. Because any time the hope's anywhere else, you have an idol. That's what it is. Idol's anything but him, because he's the God of hope. He's the God of hope that, because that, anything else will disappoint you. Have you met somebody that doesn't disappoint you? Have you? I don't think so other than him. Every person I've ever met, including my wife, disappoints me. I disappoint her on a regular basis. Because <laughs> I'm a human being. I'm made. I'm flesh and blood. I am not God. If your hope is in yourself, is the way a lot of help, self-help books are, you're going to be disappointed as well because you're going to fail yourself. If your hope, it says, it says, don't put your hope in finances and this, that, and the other, but instead seek first the kingdom of God, because those other things will disappoint you. Because they will not always be there for you. So the hope has to rely on him. Nothing else. No career, no boyfriend, no girlfriend, no finance, no anything. And any time you get that in your heart, let it be an alarm to you that you've all of a sudden moved off the focus. See, the idea, you've heard me say many times, centrality of Christ. Why? He's in the center of you. Why? Because everything in your life is supposed to be centered on him. That's why. That's why that scripture says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be given to you. Not because God doesn't want to give you all the other things that you kind of like to hope in. He wants to give it to you, but he needs his hope in you because you'll fail otherwise. There is no way you'll make it unless you get it that your hope is in him. There is no way on this earth. And when I deal with people, I deal with that more than anything. And when I pray for people, I deal with people's hopes being dashed. Because what happened? They put their hope in something else. And they were disappointed. And if the enemy wouldn't disappoint you in it, God will. Because he'll have no other gods before him. You don't think he'll remove any god that sticks in, his way, in, in your way between him and you? You bet he will. I'm married. If, somebody, if some other guy tried to come in my wife's life, I would stomp him out. How much more God will? Because he knows our very life depends upon it. He knows that we cannot make it unless we're fully focused in on him. You know, when they talk about the banquet, that you know, and they send out these invitations for the banquet at the end times, some said I'm busy. Some said it was too far. Some said i got to take care of this. Some i got to take care of that. They're all distracted with other hopes, with other things, with other things of importance. And what happened with that? The door was slammed and they were not allowed to come and he went out and just got the people that are anywhere around. Come on in. Anybody come on in. We're going to take you. Why did he do it that way? I sure don't know. You know, they didn't, they didn't open him either. But that's what he did. God's God does what he wants. Our hope is alone in him. So how does that hope operate? That hope, when it's in him, is another thing that opens up the door. I spoke to you before about the false vows you made when you got your hopes hurt. 
when you said, I'll never trust again, I'll never love again, I'll never feel again, I'll never trust anybody again, I'll never, never, never. Those were hopes you had in. And there were things other than God and you were disappointed. That's okay when you're three, four, five, six, seven, eight years old. When you're older, you're supposed to learn. We're supposed to learn this lesson. This is a basic lesson. I don't know anybody who knows it hardly. It's a basic lesson. It's a basic lesson of the kingdom. But you have to know it. Because if you do, any other hope, you will be disappointed. And then you'll say, I'll never hope again. Well, that hope, when you say you'll never trust or hope again, it also means you won't trust God either. So that's why the enemy did too when you were young. He ended up disappointing you. He ended up hurting you. So that you would not trust anymore. So you would say, I'm not going to trust. I'm not going to hope. I'm not going to have any faith in anything anymore. But me. Me doesn't work either. It fails you. Always will. So those vows caught people so they closed that door. But the lack of hope also closes that door. But hope opens it too. If your God is the God of hope, he can open that door to that first love. That's one of the steps. There's many steps. We're going to go through a lot of these different gates. Not all of them, I don't think. But we'll do a lot of them. You'll see how they interact with, with the first love and help open them or help close them. But the biggest one I know of all is this hope thing. Because it tells you what really God is in your life. Now, what affects that hope? If you can see, unfortunately, I thought it would be kind of sweet to have that yellow, but it comes out black and white. And uh, I thought it would be easy to read, and it actually ends up the opposite. But it actually says mind, conscious, subconscious, things like that. And that's why when it says repent, it means change the way you think. Okay? Because that mind often affects how you hope. Now, we can get tricked and disappointed in different things. But if we can process it right and understand right and repent, change the way we think, we can begin to operate differently. So what the enemy does is, if you could see at the very bottom, why don't you lift that thing up a little bit. At the very bottom, the gate that goes uh, to the very bottom there is the ear gate, which you hear. You know, when in the garden, the serpent said, said, spoke to the ear of Eve. And he told her something that wasn't true. He worked on something that caused her to believe that God was not good. He worked on something that caused her to, to, to hear things. And it doesn't have to be just with the audible thing. It can be the spiritual ear as well. But he got him to believe something different and caught her off guard. He began to plant things in our subconscious. That were, that were off. That were uncomfortable. That, that, were, that didn't work in her. You know, first of all said that, uh, that he wasn't a good God. Said that if you really want to get the good things, the things I hope for in life, the things that look good out there, those focus, outward focus on something else other than God, then you're going to have to go grab them yourself was a flat lie. Because in that process of doing that, it caused her eyes to turn from God to the outside. And as I told you before, that's when we began to look out. When man fell, no longer looked at God, we began to look out for other people to give us who we are. We were the introspection. I'm naked. You know, oh, you know, this. We began to blame shift because we didn't want to see us as the way we are. But see, the cross reversed that again, that we could grab around and live from the inside out. Now we have to train by our mind how to hear and what to listen to. If, if I prayed for you, probably I probably prayed over your ears that God would 
pull off that filter that the enemy puts on that causes you to hear him rather than God. Because what happens, the enemy sticks and, and, and designs your ears to be able, you know, you get hurt enough times and, you, and, you, and things happen, you become suspicious of people in life and God. You begin to turn your ears to hear certain things. They're keyed, if you would. There's a filter on them, if I may, to be able to hear the negative in life. Now, the world trains us to that. If you've watched the news or you picked up a paper in the last century, you've heard nothing but a lot of negative things. Matter of fact, our culture lifts it up as a high thing. We're critical. We're a critical view of the news. A critical, uh, what are the words they use? Uh, huh? Yeah, critical thinking. All the stuff's really, really good. But, you know, that's what they say. But it's not really, really good. The, uh, especially in the real true meaning of the word critical, looking for the bad. How many of you know God looks for the good? He's a good finder. The hardest thing I ever had in life was to learn to hear God and understand God was a good finder. I used to always believe he had a big magnifying glass and a stick in the other looking for a reason to smack me. I honestly did. I really felt that way. You know, but I found out that he has a big magnifying glass but was to find something good so he could say, good boy. You know, that's what it is. And that's how we raise our kids if we're doing it right. We find the good and we call out the good. And we deal with the other one real quickly and go for the good because we want to draw the good out of there. Because we want to train them to be good. God wants to train us to be good. And the enemy wants to train us to listen to the wrong thing. So why do you think it says don't gossip or listen to gossip? Does that change the way you think of that scripture now? Especially when I start talking about how you speak it, what it does to you. But hearing it, hearing gossip. I remember old Bob Jones says, he says, either giving or hear, receiving gossip is an open invitation for demonic attack. <laughs> I heard that of him. Oh, why? Because it tunes you to turn off a God and tune in the other things. It turns you to be the judge, God, rather than the forgiven. It turns you to hear the wrong way. So what we hear... And what we listen to greatly affect how hope we have in our life. Now, obviously, the things that are in your conscious and your subconscious change that as well. If your subconscious or your conscious is what's in your mind from your past, is filled with hurt and disappointment, abuse of all kinds that there are, then you're going to hear in a broken way. Your hope is going to be disappointed, and you won't be able to hope in God. All of that is the enemy's attempt to destroy or distract you from Christ. That's the whole game. If you really want to pull the whole game down something, the enemy tries to either get you to somehow off of God, be distracted from his number one way. If he can't get you to say, God's not good, which many of us say. What's the matter with saying God and that's good? That, remember I talked about in Genesis 1? He created heaven, you know, light, and said it was good, and this was good. Everything was good. And I, when I read that, the first thing that came to my mind is, gee, what? God wants to be known as good. You know, I hope that came to you, because that's obviously what he's trying to say. Everything I create is good, and the one that, if everything I create is good, the creator's good, right? If the painting's good, the painter's good. Right? That's how it works. He wants to be known as good. You want to get him mad, say, he's not good. And that's who you'll be speaking directly from the pit of hell. 
Because that's what the pit says. The pit says he's not good. He's always withholding. He's not giving you what you need. What you think in your mind affects the hope you have. So we have to have this hope in him. We have to begin to look towards one thing, him, Jesus Christ, to have hope. If we can truly focus our mind and our hearts on the one thing, which is him, and truly choose to believe, we'll get into that's one of the gates here, choice, to believe what he says, then we have hope. How many of you read a lot of the Bible? Most of us? What do you see in there? You see a God that's good and generous. Read the Old Testament, you see one that deals with wrong. But you see one that's good and generous and wants to bless us. Believe it. Plain believe that God wants to give you everything. Because I don't believe there's anything he doesn't want to give you if you can handle it. There may be some reason. I'm sure there is some for somebody, for something to get across. But his truth is he wants to bless you. But at the very moment you put your hope in the blessing you missed. You know, I, I told you guys a story before about when I, I, I got divorced once about 30 years ago. Been married now about 25. And I heard God say, I'm going to heal your marriage. And, and marriage was a very important thing to me. I might even say it was a God family. You know, that was became a focus in me, and I was distracted off that. And I thought he said something, and it's not really what he said. He meant something definitely. He was going to heal my family. He did. He gave me a new wife. I got custody of my kids. I got to live life out with them. They're good kids. You know, he gave me another child on top of it. What could be better? Healed my family. But not the way I thought. So there's a lot of things that you think that messes up your hope because they disappoint. But you see, if your hope is in him, let's, for example, you're sick and your hope's in him. What happens if you don't get well? What happens if your focus is on just getting well? I think God's, this is one I see a lot, God's going to heal me. That probably was God, or it could have been your soul. You want something real bad enough, it sounds really a lot like God. That's why I've always been opposed to this really, let's jack you up, get your emotions flying sideways, jump up and down, get so excited that we think it's God, then everything that excites us, we think it's God. Anything that feels good, we think it's God. Well, it's not. Sometimes it can be. Sometimes it's not. But I've tried to train you to be able to hear God and what he speaks and what he's saying to you. And put your hope in the truth. Because when that nips, God wants to take you home. My father-in-law, by the way, you can pray for Karen right now. That's where she is. Her sisters are with her dad. You know, he's going home. A couple of days ago, I asked him if he was afraid. And he said no. Uh, the day before that, he asked uh, one of his brothers, I mean one of his sons, uh, do, we have, do I have reservations? I mean in heaven. And he said, yeah, got reservations. And he knows the Lord. He says, well, I haven't lived my life perfectly. Nearby. But he's going to get to go home. Now, the hope is, you know, soon, in our opinion, because his body's broken. Now, if God wants to heal him, that's great. But if his hope was in that he would get well, would he be disappointed? Of course he would, because he's not getting well. If his hope was that, that, that Louis' body disease was going to go away, would he be disappointed? Of course he would be. Now, if God told him 
that I'm going to heal you of this, then you hang on to that and you believe God for that. But you mainly believe in him. You believe that God's a good God. Or like the three that went into the fire. He says, you can be sure. God can, God can deliver us. But you can be sure of this. Even if he doesn't, we're not going to serve you. He's talking to Nebuchadnezzar. Even if he doesn't, we're going to serve God. Even if God doesn't do what you think is one of the things he wants to build in your heart, you have to say, I'm going to serve him. I'm going to hope in him. Because there's no greater hope than God. And he's worthy of it. And when you said, I do to God, you said, I don't to myself. In case you didn't get that. When you said that I'll be a servant, servants have absolutely no rights. Zero in the kingdom. No rights. You said, I give my life over to you. It's fully given to you. Then he has the right to do with you whenever, whatever he wants. And if he has the right and you begin to understand that, and you begin to understand he's good, there's a lot of freedom in that. Then, like with my father-in-law, he can go home in confidence that God is going to take care of him. And he's going to be with him for eternity. Not this painful, crummy body. I've talked to different people that have went up to heaven and, you know, died and came back. And they didn't want to come back because their body hurt and ached. And up there was really fine. But see, the trust has to be in God. The hope has to be in God. The view has to be in God. If it's in that, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. But it's just like that. You have to have that one view. You have to be myopic. You have to be single-eyed, as the scriptures say, and to be on him and be trusting him that he's a good God. You won't be disappointed. It doesn't mean he doesn't promise you and doesn't bring things to being. Because he does. Because that's his nature. He loves to do that. But he learns to test you between the difference that you know those things. And that the weight or the founding stone or the footing of the building is in him. That's why he's that rock. It's the footings in him. Not in the things that we think are going to happen. So I, I think I've hit that fairly well on hope. And the enemy wants to destroy it. He wants you to hope in the wrong things. He wants to distract you. All those things. And next week I'm going to talk about the battle for your soul. You notice the gate we're talking about. And I'll try to hit faith and worship too. They're opening gates to your soul. See, imagine all those gates closed off. Let's say you have that. (laughs) Here's a good example. The one-way prayer. Oh, God, give me this. God, give me that. Give me this. Give me that. I think the door's going the wrong way. You know, you know, (laughs) you know, the door opens one. You know, you got to listen to God. So it's coming from the inside. So. If your prayer or all these different things are messed up, then, then the presence of God dwells in you. You don't feel him. It doesn't end up in your soul. Your soul is where you make your decisions. Soul's not a bad thing. Not at all. It's part of what God made. You know, we're supposed to love God with all our heart, mind, and soul. That's what we're supposed to do. That's what we're called to do. So soul's a good thing. Very, very good thing. Just wonders who's living there. And next week I'm going to talk about who's living there and how you get who's not supposed to be there out. Whether it's an, an entity or a hurt or trash, you know, sometimes they come in there and litter it all up for you. And see the fight for the kingdom to dwell in there. So I'm going to give a few minutes for those who want some prayer. I want you to come forward and uh, our prayer team will come up and we'll pray for you. And we'll begin, we'll be glad to pray for hope. 
and that your hear, hearing would be the right way, and that your mind would change, which means repent. See, because if, you, if your mind is thinking of God's not good and that's not, that's called sin. That God is withholding from me, that's the words from Satan himself. What he said in the garden, oh, he's withholding from me. He's withholding something from you. So you have to change the way I think. So I want to give that opportunity. And the rest of you, I want to bless as you go. Uh, Father, I just ask that the words that I spoke that are of you that would be planted so impregnated into people's lives that they cannot shake it, that nothing, no bird of the air, no enemy can come in and steal the truth that's been deposited today, that no distraction can come to take them off of the one and only God, the hope of our eternity, our salvation. And as your word also means, besides the expectation of good and beneficial things, it's an expectation of the salvation, which is saving grace that comes from you. So, Lord, plant that in people. Let them see with that single eye, you, your kingdom, that it would dwell within them, that they would have the life that's promised, that they would no longer have to walk around in this brokenness without the, the reality of Christ in them, only the knowledge that he's supposed to be in them. Let them have the reality of Christ in them. So, Lord, I ask that you would move by your Holy Spirit through every person in here and fully empower them to understand and know those things, that the truth would set them free and they'd live the life that they're called to live. So, in your holy name, I bless them. I speak a blessing over each and every life here. I speak an impregnation to every part of your body that you would know the presence of the living God, that every gate would be sanctified and open. That the words spoken today and in past days and what the Lord speaks to you, you'll truly pay attention to and listen to. Not be the foolish one that looks in the mirror and walks away and forgets what they look like. But instead would gaze perfectly into the true, true God, Christ. We love you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We love you. We bless you. Amen.